Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, a joint podcast from The China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of the China Project. On this week's episode, Chechu Technology may soon become the first Chinese company with a VIE structure to sell shares in the U.S. under China's new overseas listing rules. And Beijing-based startup Fourth Paradigm kicks off its IPO in Hong Kong. Plus, corporate America's optimism about China is fading. Let's jump right in. A survey conducted by the American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai has found that U.S. firms are increasingly pessimistic about their operations in China. Of more than 300 respondents, only around half expressed optimism about their five-year business outlook in the country. This is a 3% drop from last year's survey and marks the lowest level of confidence in the survey's 25-year history. Reasons for the decline include tensions between the U.S. and China, pressure to decouple, and China's economic slowdown. China-U.S. tensions are seen as the top challenge for U.S. companies operating in China, with many under pressure from Washington to decouple. Among those polled, two-thirds said that Washington had exerted greater pressure, while the remaining third pointed to Beijing. With continued uncertainty surrounding their relationship, one-fifth of companies said they are considering moving some of their operations out of China in the next one to three years, while 40% said they had or planned to redirect investment originally planned for China. Outside of geopolitics, factors such as increased domestic competition, unpredictable regulatory changes, and expectations of slower economic growth have also weighed on sentiment. Despite this, Revenue expectations appear to have stabilized. About one-third of respondents plan to increase their investments in China this year. While China-U.S. tensions have been at the forefront of the drop in optimism, several senior U.S. officials have traveled to China this year in an effort to mend fraught relations. AmCham Shanghai Chairman Sean Stein sees these visits as an encouraging sign and expressed support for the reforms that Beijing has recently announced to boost capital inflow and attract foreign investment. Speaking of the U.S., 
auto insure tech firm Chocho Technology has moved closer to becoming the first Chinese company with a variable interest entity structure to issue shares in the U.S. under China's new overseas listing rules. According to the new rules, Chinese companies seeking to sell shares overseas must register their application with China's securities regulator if more than 50% of their revenue, profit, or assets came from the Chinese market in the previous financial year. When the new rules were first proposed in 2021, many were concerned about their impact on companies with variable interest entity structures. These VIE structures have often been used by Chinese companies to circumvent restrictions on foreign investment in certain sectors. Under these structures, companies whose operations are largely based in China establish an overseas shell company to sell stock to public shareholders. China's securities regulator has assured its support for VIE companies' overseas listing so long as they comply with relevant laws and regulations. Chocho Technology is registered in the Cayman Islands but conducts business in China through a Beijing subsidiary. The company has recently announced plans to float on the NASDAQ by merging with a U.S.-listed blank check company. In other listing news, Beijing-based AI startup Fourth Paradigm has launched its long-awaited IPO in Hong Kong. The IPO comes after multiple rounds of fundraising. In March, Fourth Paradigm was added to the U.S. entity list, which has restricted its ability to procure critical chip components from U.S. enterprises. However, the company is optimistic that this restriction will not significantly affect its business. Back in Beijing, Chinese financial institution Zhongrong International Trust has entrusted two state-owned companies to support its operations and management after it failed to repay some maturing products that it had sold. Sources with knowledge of the issue told Caixin that the two companies, Cidic Trust and CCB Trust, will examine the status of Zhongrong's overdue products and capital flow, after which regulators will determine the next steps. While Zhongrong has attributed the missed payments to multiple internal and external factors, the liquidity crisis at Zhongrong's second-largest shareholder, investment giant Zhongzhi Enterprise Group, has likely played a key role. Zhongzhi's four wealth management companies have defaulted on the products they sold to investors, raising concerns about contagion risk across China's financial sector. Zhongzhi has been in the spotlight in the past few years due to its aggressive expansion and significant risk exposures. Now some positive news from a sector adjacent to real estate. Despite the continuing slump in Chinese real estate, steel output has picked up over the past few months and has even exceeded pre-pandemic levels. Steel output, sometimes seen as a barometer for the health of the property market, grew year-on-year -year in July and August, reversing three months of decline. These improvements stand in stark contrast to the prolonged downturn in the real estate market, which has suffered a year-on-year -year drop in investment for months. Analysts said that while the construction of new property has been falling, a lot of work is still being done on projects where construction has already started, which could account for the limited slide in steel used in property. Meanwhile, 
industries such as manufacturing, infrastructure, new energy, power equipment, and shipbuilding have likely helped bolster steel output. China's steel exports grew almost 30% year-on-year in the first eight months, which has also buoyed steel production and may continue to do so in the short term. Let's turn now to Caixin Global reporter Yukun Zhang, who we welcome back again this week. Uh, Yukun, great to see you again. Thank you, Kaiser. It's always a pleasure. Today, we are going to talk about China's hidden local government debt. First of all, give us a primer. What is this local debt we're talking about? It is local government borrowings that don't show up on official budgets. So before 2015, most of China's local governments couldn't legally issue bonds to finance their investments. So they set up state-owned companies that are actually vehicles for them to issue bonds, borrow from banks, or raise money through other channels. The proceeds are often used for building infrastructure, such as roads and bridges. In 2015, an updated budget law came into effect, and it allows local governments to issue what is called special purpose bonds for their infrastructure investment. In fact, according to the law, that should be the only way for local governments to raise money legally. But local government financing vehicles, or LGFVs, didn't disappear because local governments were still using them to raise money to pay for infrastructure and public goods projects that they can't finance entirely through on-budget spending. LGFV debt and money borrowed from other shady channels became what we call hidden local government debt. So do we have a, a, a measure of how large this debt actually is? There's no official number. Expert estimates range from 30 trillion yuan to more than 70 trillion yuan, so trillions of U.S. dollars. And so this, this level of debt, it's created problems, presumably, for local governments? Many local governments, especially those in economically weaker regions, are now struggling to repay their hidden debt. Some of the investments made with the money raised off the books couldn't generate enough returns, and local governments' revenues have been suffering because of three years of pandemic and a property market crisis. Well, they used to make lots of money from selling land to property developers, but now the property market is in a slump, so this part of their income has shrunk. So what, what has the central government done to try to address the, the local debt issue? The central government has carried out programs to try to resolve hidden debt, but the problem didn't get smaller. According to Hu Jiayin, an assistant professor at Peking University, interest-bearing LGFV debt had ballooned to 55 trillion yuan as of the end of last year, from 33 trillion yuan at the end of 2018, despite the central government's persistent efforts to resolve it. The numbers are based on research done by a team including Hu. The Politburo, the Communist Party's top decision-making body, said in July that China will create and implement a package of debt-resolving plans. We don't really know what the plan has, but Caixin recently reported that the central government may allow a dozen regions under especially heavy debt burdens, including Tianjin and Guizhou, to issue a combined 1.5 trillion yuan worth of special refinancing bonds to bring hidden debt onto the books. 
So what would happen is that these governments will issue these special refinancing bonds and use the new money to pay off the hidden debt. In that way, hidden debt becomes unbudget government bonds. It's a method. It's a method that has been used in previous rounds of hidden debt resolving programs. Will that be enough, though, to address the issue? No, according to some of the scholars that spoke at a recent Peking University seminar, bringing hidden debt onto the books won't solve the fundamental issue here: that most local governments simply don't have the resources to pay back what they owe. So, did these academics float other possible solutions to address the hidden debt problem? Yeah,、um, some suggested local governments raise money by selling their assets to bad debt managers, and that banks should help restructure local hidden debt because banks are responsible for having lent to LGFVs indiscriminately. Another solution is balancing local governments' tax revenue and spending obligations. A scholar said that local governments should be allowed to take a bigger slice of tax revenue, while the central government should shoulder more social welfare expenditure. Okay, so there's quite a quite a number of ideas out there. Right,、um, Tyson has written extensively about hidden local government debt, and we can talk for days. I mean, if this sounds like an interesting topic to any of our listeners, search for hidden debt on TysonGlobal.com and read the stories. Please do, and thank you for all of that. Very, very interesting, very important issue, Yukun. That I am sure that we're all going to be keeping an eye on. My pleasure. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Taishin Seneca Business Brief was produced by me, Kaiser Guo, and by Lin Jinbing, Madeline McDonald, Kelsey Chung, and Michael Bellart at Taishin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Taishin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Seneca Network. Like the amazing China in Africa podcast and China Global South podcast, and for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from the China Project. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.